We've been in this series, for those of you who just are dive-bombing in today, it's called What to Do When It Does. You hear about life happens, well, what to do when it does. And we've been in this series of David's life. And it takes up about, uh, it comes around, oh, I imagine around First Samuel 19, and it goes all the way to Second Samuel chapter 1. And it's this space and time in David's life where he was on the top. He was the great composer, writing worship music, great war hero. Everybody loved him. On top of all this good stuff, he's anointed and he's good looking. You know, I mean, he's got it all. And then all of a sudden, Saul, King Saul wants to kill him. And he's Saul's greatest ally. Bottom falls out. So now we've been talking through stuff. Last week I went through suffering. Why do the innocent suffer? And there was that time when he had to go through suffering. And he watched people who were innocent suffer. And if you didn't listen to that message last week on suffering, especially those of you that are getting ready to take your philosophy classes as you walk into university, they will destroy your faith if you don't understand about suffering. If God's, so, if God's so powerful, why didn't he intervene? If God's so loving, then why do children die? If you don't get that straight, they're going to chew you up, spit you out, and destroy your faith. You need to understand that Jesus' followers are no more exempt from suffering than you are from the law of gravity. The difference is, is God perfects his purpose in the suffering that you could have never imagined. So here we go again. Because some of you are going, okay, I'm in this powerful moment. I feel this moment. I see people getting touched in this. Well, here's, here's what happens in 2 Samuel 30, okay? It's a crazy story. And now he thinks he's got one thing, and here comes another thing. And here comes another thing. Here comes another thing. And look what happens. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1 through 4. And then I'm going to just kind of talk a little bit through it, and we're gonna, then we're going to get out of here and take this glory to the people we meet. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Now watch this. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. I, I would, scholars don't really know what this period of time was from 1 Samuel 19 to 2 Samuel chapter 1. It could, it could have been 16 months, give me two years, three years. Nobody really knows for certain. But what we're finding in this moment of his life is David can't seem to get a break. Saul wants to kill him. He's hated. He's hunting him down like a flea on the back of a baboon. He's gone to Ahimelech, the high priest you heard last week, because David lied. 85 priests were slaughtered brutally murdered, and they weren't satisfied with just murdering these priests of God. They killed their wives, they killed their children, they slaughtered their babies, their donkeys, their cattle, everything. David feels responsibility. And you, you talk about, okay, God's helped me, he spared my life, but here we go again. 
And in this part of the story, he's been fighting the Philistines over here. And now he's got the Amalekites over here and they've taken his wife, taken his families, they've taken everything. All of it's gone. And they're at the point of such despair. Have you ever cried till your body physically cannot produce tears anymore? Have you been so low where you have cried so hard you couldn't produce tears? A few of us have. A few of us have. Now, you think that's, bless his heart, but let me take you a little step further. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, the next verse. David was greatly distressed. Now, here's what's really messing him up. Because the men, his own team, his own staff, his men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because his sons, because of his sons and his daughters. Now, it's not just that they're attacking you as a team. Now, your team doesn't like you and they're blaming you. Now they're blaming you, dad. They're blaming you, mom. Now they're blaming you. And they want to stone you. You talk about this guy can't seem to get a break. I'm praying, believing God. I see him. And now I'm back. Here I am again. What is going on? I can't even pray anymore. I can't, I'm tired of crying. My emotions are zapped. I mean, this guy, how many have ever been, how many of you have ever felt so low that you could sit on a piece of toilet paper and swing your legs? I couldn't describe a way how low, low is. That's about as low as you can get, buddy. Well, let me just show you something. If you will not turn loose of God, because all these songs and all this spirit and everything that's been happening here, this has been the constant thread. And if you don't hear this and take notes, you're missing it because your day's coming. And this is where the enemy attacks you. And what you can truly discover is David finally discovered when he gets to the end of this, that God has a, when you're at your lowest point, God is working his highest purpose in the depth of your crisis. And if you could get that, if you and I could get that now, we would shout not just on the mountain, we would shout while we're sitting on the piece of toilet paper swinging our legs, we would praise God in the middle of it because he's always working his highest purpose at our lowest point. So now go ahead and praise him because I know that's what you're getting ready to do. So I'm going to give you some quick takeaways. You ready for this? Real quick. Number one, what are we learning from this? Number one, you're going through this. You need to recognize your weakness. There's interesting about the Malachites, and I wish I could really get into the whole study of the Malachites with you. They were intent on doing one thing, wiping the lineage of the Jews off of the face of the map whereby Jesus Christ the Messiah could not come. That was their intention. If you don't believe that, you hadn't read the book of Esther. That's what they want to do. That's what Haman was. This, they were fierce enemies. They despised, loathed, hated Israel. And here's what they were known for in their strategy of attack. The Amalekites were known for attacking Israel, but they would wait until Israel had been weakened, unguarded, or there was a vulnerable area. They would sit back, hide, until they were weak, unguarded, vulnerable. Here's what I'm going to tell you if you're going through hell right now and you're sitting on the piece of toilet paper. Where you are most vulnerable and unprotected is where Satan is going to attack you. So you've got to identify that. 
What is that? You must guard the unprotected areas of your life. So what is it? What is it that he's going after in your life? You must guard it. You must protect it. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said this even about when you walk with the Lord. He says, when an unpure spirit comes out of a person, this is Jesus. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. Here's my point. It is not enough for you to say the sinner's prayer and make it in. It's not enough just to say, Jesus, come clean my house and regenerate me. The problem is, is once you clean the house, you got to invite the right people into that house. And some of us believers are leaving exposed areas and you are inviting garbage into your life when Jesus saved you, set you free, and you've left it unprotected. He says Satan comes back with seven times stronger to come and occupy the place that you thought, oh, I love Jesus, I'm saved. He says you guard that vulnerable, unprotected area. So what is it? It could be self-pity is your unprotected area. Insecurity could be our unprotected area. It could be some kind of lust or appetite out of control that is sitting in an unprotected area. It could be your prejudice that is the unprotected area. It could be greed. It could be your money that's the unprotected area. It could be your self-approval of people. You've got to be approved. That could be the unprotected area. But he says, when you're being attacked, the Amalekite, Satan comes in and he sits in the back, waits till you're weak, you unprotect it, or it is a vulnerable area, and then he becomes to you. You say, well, I don't know when I'm vulnerable. Let me give you when you are the most vulnerable. You ready for this? Dr. Don Litchie, a psychologist, spirit-filled psychologist, gave this to me, and I've lived by this thing. I want you to look at this. Here's when you need to know to watch for when you're vulnerable. Ready? Everybody say halt. That means stop, halt. Here it is. First, the H is when you're hungry, when you're angry, L when you're lonely, and T when you're tired. You gotta stop. If you will look at people's lives through the Bible, you will find times when they were hungry. Think of Esau. Think of him. Angry. Do you remember when David almost killed Nabal? And remember Abigail stopped him? Do you remember that? His rage out of control. Some of you need to listen to people in your life when they're saying, you know what? You got an anger problem. No, I don't. <laughs> you need to listen to them. When you're lonely, loneliness is the worst thing that's happened. Can I tell you what the pandemic did? There are some things out of it that we were able to do to reach people, our online campus. But I'm going to tell you, loneliness is the number one thing that is harming people. They are alone, and now they are vulnerable. They're not processing right. Church family, I'm telling you, I know, I, I, I get it, I understand, but some of you need to be back in the house of God and with God's people. You need the body of Christ. You need the body of Christ. When you're lonely, tired, here's another one, bad. Everybody say bad. Just go, that's bad. Here it is, ready? When you're bored, when you're anxious, or you're depressed. Since you've gone into retirement, there are things you're doing that you never would have done before. Bored. Think about it. Anxious, you're worried, you're sitting there. All you're watching is the stock market. You're watching what China does. You're watching what everything everybody else does. You're watching what the government's doing. You're watching what the president's doing. You're watching what you're, you're just going, you're, and you're just anxious. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. 
Either God is on the throne or he is not. How many know hell is not in charge of the child of God's destiny? In him we live, we move, and we have my being. When you're depressed. So Satan's MO has not changed. Whatever the weakness is in your life, whatever that weakness is, Satan will play on that area of your life. So here's what I'm going to tell you, what Apostle Paul told you. Here's what he says. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Put on the helmet of salvation, which is your thought process. Put on the breastplate of righteousness, which guards your position in Jesus. That's your heart and your body. You're saved and your, and your life is saved by Jesus Christ. Have your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel. Get into the word of God. Have your loins girt about with truth, which are your reproductive organs. That means you should constantly be reproducing the word of God, reproducing spiritually in your life. Come on, have the breastplate of righteousness. Have the shield of faith that fights all the fiery darts of the way. Take out the sword of the Spirit. God says, put it all on. But we're being vulnerable. We think, oh, everybody loves me. I'll take, I'll, I'll take my breastplate off. I, it's all right. I'll, I'll, just, I'll, I'll go ahead and watch that Netflix. Take your helmet off. Don't be stupid. Yeah, but everybody's saying, they just talk in tongues and they watch that series. Don't be stupid. I don't know if you're under conviction or you don't know what Netflix is. Nobody watches TV. No, I'm serious, church family. You got to understand, the Amalekites looked for the vulnerable, open, exposed areas, and God is saying, put on the full armor every day. Get around God's people. Get in the spirit of God. Stay in the presence of God. We have too many believers that have just got the helmet and say, oh, I got saved. It's more. You cannot just be saved. You must guard the house. We got too many believers running around like spiritual streakers. Just a helmet on and that's it. Get your clothes on. That's why 1 Peter 5 8 says, stay alert. Everybody say, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. Your great enemy, the devil. Because he prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Can I tell you, friends, I'm not the one that wins the battle. He's the one that wins the battle. But he tells me, watch your guard. Sam, recognize your weaknesses. Don't let the vulnerabilities go unprotected in your life. But he says, if you'll put on the full armor, if you'll stay alert. He says, Satan goes about like a roaring lion. But when you stay in the presence of God, there's another lion entering the arena and is name is the line of the tribe of Judah. How many thank God he is the one that will give you power to overcome? My, 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 my. Are you hearing one? Recognize your weakness. Say that. Recognize my weakness. Here's the next thing. You got to renew your strength. We're talking about this. This whole, have you listened to the theme? Have you listened to the theme? Because you get in moments where the presence of God is powerful, we hear the miracles, God, the manifestations, and you think this is a light switch that when you go in your car, it's gone. Or you get in your house and there's an argument that sues, then the Spirit of God is gone. No, He is there. Be alert. Everything you need to overcome is already in you. But you got to renew your strength. You know, being together like this is part of renewing our strength. Look at this, 1 Samuel verse 30, verse 6. It says, David... Watch this. I want you to look at this. David was greatly distressed. There are some of you that are so greatly distressed emotionally, your tanks are empty. We were worshiping, people were crying, and you said, I, I just don't feel nothing. 
Let me tell you where you are. You're greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning them. That's one thing when your enemies tell you you're a dirt bag, but when your kid tells you you're a dirt bag, it changes the whole scenario. When the people that love you the most are the ones that are wounding you the most, that's when you get greatly distressed. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and his daughters. But I want you to look at this. Can you look at this with me? Can you join me in this? Here he goes again. He's at another thing again. But David found strength in the Lord his God. But David found strength. David found it. David was searching for it. David was looking for it. David was pursuing it. He found strength in the Lord. Watch this. Notice this. The men that are with him are facing the exact same thing he is facing, but we have two outcomes. That means some person can face the exact same persecution in your life from the enemy and the suffering, but we have two outcomes. These guys are getting better, but he is getting better. Same problems, different outcomes. What's the difference? One guy chose to go seek God and pursue it because he knew that's where he needed to be. He did not need to go and get another shot glass to, to sedate himself. He didn't need another joint to just escape for a moment. What he needed was the presence of God because in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy and at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. You gotta go where you're truly gonna find your peace. Am I all by myself or are you grabbing a hold of this? Now notice the contrast. This doesn't mean you're exempt from problems and we all act, oh, we got faith. Oh, we got faith. Oh, we got faith. Oh, I got faith. I got to show my faith. No, no, no. Hold it. This guy was distressed. David was weeping and he was crying, but he knew where to go. And I want you to look at the contrast from the beginning of the verse to the end of the verse. Did you see it? He went from greatly distressed and probably bitter at God going, again, Again, they've got my wives, they've got my children, they got them all. Again, I thought when I tithe, I'd start tithing, give them money, this would stop. I thought if I showed up to church, this stuff stopped. I thought if I forgave them, this would stop. Again, but look what happened. They're getting more bitter, and now they want to lash out at a guy who's actually there to help them. Isn't that amazing that sometimes the people that are most the bitter and don't turn to God lash out at people that are really trying to help them? Lashes out. And look what's happening to him. They're getting bitter. He finds strength in the Lord. I mean, just look at it. He's going from straight stress to strength. Just look at him. He's going from weak to warrior. He's going to discourage to determination. He's going to from fright to fight. <laughs> I mean, he's changing in that moment. How did he find the strength and how do you find the strength? Ready? Two quick things. Number one, start singing your song. Something happened in this room when worship started entering this place and came out of you. I don't know if you noticed, but have you noticed that worship changes everything? David is always finding strength by entering into worship with God. Listen, right after he's delivered from Saul and his enemies, look what Psalm 18 says. He says, I love you, Lord. He's just gone through it. He says, but I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. 
He is my shield, the power that saves me, my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies. What is he doing? He's finding strength by worshiping God, his song. You remember when he freaks out in front of King Achish? You remember that? He's like a madman. He's clawing at the door. He goes back going crazy. He is going crazy. But when he gets in the cave, he writes this. This is what happens in Psalm 34. This is what happened right after that event. He goes in and says, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Some of you have broken hearts here today. And save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them, A-double-L. Can somebody say it? Oh, you need to start singing and entering that praise and worship like you have never before. Here's the second thing. Watch this. I noticed this in his prayer. You got to surround yourself with God's people. You got to be surrounded by saints. You've got to have God. Some of you are single, single adults in this place, young adults. You need to be in the young adult ministry. Some parents in this room, I get it. They can have their friends at high school, but you need to have them in the youth ministries. They need to be surrounded by godly people. You need to be in a small group. We're starting up. Get around godly people. Because look at Psalm 142. Look what he says. Hear my cry. He's in the cave. This is why he's on the run. This is in that, that space of those 14 chapters. He's in the cave. Hear my cry, for I am very low. Rescue me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. He said, I can't even overcome them, God. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the money. I, I, don't have, I, don't have, I, I can't do this. Look what he says. Bring me out of prison so I can thank you. Watch this. The godly will crowd around me, for you are good to me. Here's my story to you. You better not go it alone. You better not go it alone. You better put yourself around godly people like you have never done before. This is why these small groups are starting up this Wednesday. You need to lock in. You say, well, I just not come from around crowds. Get around the crowd because God says, I want to crowd you with the godly. Because you're alone. And that's when the vulnerabilities happen, alone. David surrounds himself with the godly and he surrounds himself with godly relationships and godly counsel. So look, this has happened out of Ziklag. They've taken everything. They've burnt the city down, burnt his town down, taken all the wives, taken all the kids, taken everything, and they've run. And David says, I'm going to encourage myself in the Lord and look what he does in verse 7. Watch what he does. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? So here's what he's doing. He didn't go off in his anger. He was depressed, but he didn't go off. He was tired and exhausted. But what did he do? He began to slow himself down. He said, I'm going to go find the man of God, the priest that has the ephod, and I'm going to ask God what he thinks I should do, not what my anger or my depression or I'm lonely and these guys want to kill me. I've got to get with God. But he still surrounds himself with a crowd and he goes to the right people. And he says, Abiathar, ask God, should I pursue them? Should I overtake them? Abiathar comes back. He says, here's what God says. Don't you just pursue them. You're not just going to pursue them. You're not just going to 
overtake them, but you are going to recover everything they ever took from you. I've got a word for some of you. Pursue your enemy, overtake your enemy, and God is going to make him give back everything he has ever stolen from you. And I'm just going to show you something. That word came because they didn't hide in a shell and say, if anybody knows about my same-sex attraction in this church, if anybody knows, so you hide in your hole and the devil pounds you and beats you into the ground. But you need to know you're in a safe place. If anybody finds out, pastor, I lead a group, and if they ever found out about this addiction in my life, I'm going to tell you, you need to grab Satan in the darkness by the jugular vein, squeeze him real tight with the word, and jerk his nasty presence into the light of God until he screams and is exposed, and you walk with other people of God into your victory, step by step, line by line, precept by precept, prayer by prayer, tear by tear, until you're actually walking free. But you'll never do it if you keep on hiding. You need to put the crowd of God people around you. Come on, we ought to just give God some praise in this house. I'm telling you, there's so much, there's so much coming out right now. There's so much coming out right now. So here's my point to you while you're going through this. You need to be careful who and what you tie yourself to while you're going through the hell you're going through because some of you are in another. Here we go again. I thought this wasn't supposed to happen after you tithe. We've done all the counseling session. This is our set counselor. I thought this was supposed to stop. You be careful who you're tying to yourself to and what you're tying. Now, I'm going to show you this. I'm closing this. Saul and David were simultaneously fighting enemies. Saul's fighting Philistines. David was fighting Philistines. Now he's having to chase the Amalekites. And they're both in the heat of it right now. And you see what David does. Pursue, overtake, and go recover it all. But I want you to look at Saul. Saul is facing the heat of battle with the Philistines. And by the way, some of you are being attacked by the enemy. I got a word for you. God's going to throw their scent off by giving them a more fierce enemy that he takes his scent off of you. And they're distracted by another problem. Some of you need to hear that. First Samuel 28, it says, when Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Watch this. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams, by the Urim or the prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so that I can go inquire of her. And this is not talking about a medium petite. Okay. This is a demonic person who is summoning spirits of the dead. He goes to her, he does an evil practice, which he even banned from the people and removed from Israel. But now he's so fearful, he's so critically wounded, enemies are, and he ends up killing himself. Both fighting. 
You better be careful who you're tying yourself to and what you're tying yourself to. You need to be around the worship of God, the presence of God, and the people of God that can give you a word, a counsel that'll help direct you. And here's the last thing you remember. Whatever you're going through, the hell you're going through, you need to remember your purpose. Because at the lowest point in your life, God is working his highest purpose in your life. You may be crying, but I'm looking. I may be grieving, but I'm watching. Because at the lowest point of your life, God is working his highest purpose in your life. And a prophetic destiny sometimes hits you. All of a sudden, in 2 Samuel 1, 1, King Saul has died. He's gone after a witch, he's died. Remember, David was his lowest place at Ziklag. Over here, Saul's been killed. David's over here facing Ziklag. He faces over here and looks to the things of the world and he ends his life. David goes over here, he pursues, he overtakes, and he recovers all. And while he's recovering all, all of a sudden, a man comes running, comes running to David at Ziklag, and he's an Amalekite of all things. And he says that he has killed Saul, but Saul killed himself. But look at 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10. Here's what that Amalekite said. He said, I took the crown that was on his head, speaking of Saul, and the band on his arm, and he brought, him, he brought them here to my Lord. Guess where David is? David is at Ziklag, where he cried till he could cry no more at his lowest point. He did not, and they went, his own family wanted to stone him, his own people. But when it's all said and done, here comes an Amalekite and brings the crown to him in the very place they were almost going, his own people were going to destroy him. And God, he's not, he'll be anointed later, but the guy brings him the crown and says, this is what God's purpose in all of this is. He brings him the crown. And so many people don't realize there's a crown waiting for us, not just in issues of life here, but ultimately there's a crown that we have for eternity. And they get your eyes off the crown and you get your eyes on the temporal. And so when you get your eyes on the temporal, all you see is the one moment thing and you never see the, pro, pro, the, the product at the end. How many of you love cake? I'm, I'm not going to preach against it. You can raise your hands. Cake is good. When Brenda ever break, bakes a cake, she said she doesn't bake cake. She has baked a cake. I don't put too many demands on you, do I, baby? Oh, you did? She did cut a bushel of corn yesterday. A whole bushel of corn yesterday. She did it. She's putting food away for our family to survive the winter. She's a Proverbs 31 woman. You got that straight. We're going to live on corn this winter. But whenever she bakes a cake... Let me tell you what's happening to us, and some of you are not seeing the providence of God, and you're not reading what you're going through properly, and the devil will jerk you around and take advantage of your vulnerability. You'll go out of a powerful service like this and have to face something when you get home, only to think, well, it works for them, but it doesn't work for me. And so you'll end up walking out of this. You'll walk out of this place. You'll walk out of faith. You'll walk out of your marriage. You'll walk out of everything. You'll, just, you'll, you'll walk out of walking before God and asking God to create a life that is holy before him. You'll stop. Because what you're seeing is that one piece. And you're not seeing the cake. 
Now, I'm going to tell you, it took a lot of things to make that cake Brenda made. Eggs. Takes butter. Might throw some nutmeg in. Right? Might have a little bit of all this stuff mixed in there, you know? Got some flour. You got to have some flour. But here's what I don't do. Each one of those ingredients by themselves tastes nasty. I don't say, ooh, I'd really like to, ooh, that, that looks wonderful. Just forget the sugar. Let me have a stick of that butter. Do you think I would ever be so dumb as to do the cinnamon challenge where people take a big spoonful of cinnamon? How many of you have seen one of those where they try to eat that cinnamon and just blow it out their schnoz and everything? Well, cinnamon tastes wonderful, but I just don't take the ingredient of the cinnamon and just... Poof. I don't just take flour and go, oh, I want the flour. You blow it out. I don't just go nutmeg. Ooh, I love nutmeg. It's great on eggnog. Spit out egg nut. Egg nut, nutmeg. Did I say egg nug? That'd be a great and great ingredient. I love egg nug. It's delicious. But you don't eat that just, you don't eat that by itself. It doesn't happen, but some of us are discarding that ingredient and you're discarding that suffering and you're dropping out. And if you take out the butter, because you don't like the experience of the butter or you don't like the experience of the cinnamon, you're going to have a horrible cake that you might put all the other ingredients, but you're not going to put this one in. So here's what God will do. He'll take the, he'll take the butter of my battle. And then I got to go through the nutmeg of somebody's nonsense who ought to behave better than or treat me right. And then he'll take, he'll take the flour of my failures. He'll take the cinnamon of the chaos. And then he'll put in the sugar of successes. And then it gets beaten. And sometimes you feel the beating. Because if you just got a chunk of butter, ever got a, ever eaten somebody and it's got that, that baking soda and they left a big a clump of baking soda in there. You don't want to take another bite of that again. But then it gets beaten, melted. But we're not done. It goes in the pan. And then fire has to hit it. Fiery trial. And you say, do I want to go up that altar again? Do I really, can I really sing, he's never failed me yet? You know that fire? He won't put too much on. He won't put too little that it's immature and doughy and said, this tastes horrible. He puts just the right amount of fire in it. And then when it comes out, because you didn't run, because you didn't hate God, other people start looking at you like your kids and your friends and your professor who's an atheist. And then you give them a bite. Would you like a piece of this cake? Because it had the right battle of butter. The nonsense of nutmeg. The cinnamon of chaos. The flower of my failure. 
And yeah, there's some sugar successes. Would you like a taste of this? Because it's been mixed just right. God knew just how much, too little, put the right fire to it. And they said, yeah, I'd like to try that. And then they can really start tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. He's really good. He's really good. So I don't know whether you got a mouthful of cinnamon of chaos or you got a mouthful of flour. I'll tell you what, why don't you let him mix it up? Why don't you let him put it together? He'll put the right measurement of it in. And do like David. Now you can go run to the world. You can go find those things to fix it. But I'm going to tell you, it ends up like a saw. Or you can do it while everybody around you going nuts, going, getting bitter because of what was lost from their sons and daughters. You can go find your strength in the Lord and say, God, I know you're working a destiny because there's a crown coming. And there's prophetic signs that come to you. That crown is coming. I don't know about you, but he's never failed me yet. I put my trust and faith in Jesus. Woo! You can trust him. Come on, you can trust him.